Well, good to be back up here this morning. Seems like it's been a while since. Was it Christmas Eve? Is that the last time I spoke in here? Really? Oh my goodness, that's too long. So, nice to be back in here this morning, and uh, we are opening again the book of Mark. And uh, this is my first time back in Mark after a long break and uh, doing a few other things. So, nice to be back in the Gospel of Mark and picking things up there again. Before we open that up, let's, um, let's pray and then uh, see what the Lord has for us. Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us, for revealing your heart to us, for welcoming us into your kingdom and calling us your children and giving us the privilege of calling you our father, our daddy. So as we open your word this morning, we thank you for the gift of your spirit who opens our hearts and enables us to receive your word. I pray that you would indeed soften hearts, open ears, teach us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Nice to be here, as I said. Stuart is uh, out at Hurstbridge this morning and opening up this same passage to the congregation there. So uh, we pray for them as well as they are looking at the same passage that we are looking at this morning. And as I said, we're, we're back in the Gospel of Mark. And because it's been a little while since I have uh, opened these, these uh, passages to us in the Gospel of Mark, it's always good to go back and remind ourselves of a few things. And as I said several months ago, um, kind of as I was beginning my own part of the study in the Gospel of Mark, anytime I open a gospel, there are always three questions that I ask myself as I look at a passage. And maybe for some of you, you'll, you'll already know what these questions are, but for some of you, this might be a little bit new. But it's always good to go back and remind ourselves of some fundamental things as we continue on in a series like this. I suppose it's the teacher in me that wants to help you not only understand what does this passage say, but I want to help you as you open the scriptures yourself. How do I study? How do I come into a passage and what am I looking for? What am I looking at? How do I, uh, how do I approach any passage of Scripture? And so perhaps it's a part of the teacher in me that says, I want to help you to see the very things that I'm seeing as I approach uh, a passage. And, and as I look at the Gospels, there are always three questions that I ask myself because I think they're the fundamental questions as we look at a passage of, in the Gospels. There are a lot of questions we could, we could ask, but these three are always at the front of my mind. The first question is this, and it seems like the obvious question, what is this passage teaching me about Jesus? Because the Gospels themselves are really they, they are written about the person of Jesus Christ. Who is he? And, and what did he come to do? And, 
And that is really what the, what the writers of the Gospels want us to understand and to grasp is that these books are about Jesus, who he is, his identity, and what he came to do. We see that right at the very beginning of, of Mark's Gospel, the very first verse, he says, this is the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's just telling us right off, this is about Jesus, and who is he? He is the Son of God. That is what I'm writing about. John chapter 20 tells us at the very end of his gospel what he is intending for people to understand. Why was this written? He says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. And that's an important thing to understand, that the Gospels are representative of who Jesus is and what he came to do. And he did many other things, but we have selected a few things so that we could, we could put this together and help you to understand who Jesus is. He says, there are many other things that Jesus did in the presence of the, of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That is the point of this whole book. This is why I wrote it, that you may know who he is and that you would have life in his name because of that. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. This is the purpose of, of these writings. They, they point us to Jesus, and they show us how we would have life in his, in his name. We would have life in him. So the first question I always ask is, what is this passage teaching me about Jesus? What are we learning about who he is and what he came to do? The second question that I always ask is, what is Jesus teaching us about the kingdom? What is Jesus teaching about the kingdom? Because the message of the kingdom is Jesus' main message. Everything that Jesus says, everything that Jesus does is to point us to the kingdom. He preaches about the kingdom. He demonstrates the kingdom. He invites people into the kingdom. Look again at Mark chapter 1, going back to the very beginning of, of this gospel. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, that's John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. See how he makes a connection there between the gospel and the kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That is the entrance into the kingdom. Matthew chapter 4, again, very, very pointedly telling us that this is what Jesus has come to do. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then down in verse 23, again, Matthew 4. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogue, 
synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So not only teaching about the kingdom, but demonstrating through the healing. So we see even the, the actions of Jesus in some way are teaching us something about the kingdom, and that is what he has come to, to proclaim and to, to demonstrate. Not only teaching about the kingdom, but demonstrating the kingdom. So we see in Jesus' actions, kingdom truth being demonstrated. The third question that is very important for us to think about as well is this one, who is a true disciple? Who is a true follower of Jesus? Who, who are the people of the kingdom and who are, who are outside the kingdom? And that is a very important question all through the Gospels, and we're going to see how that really affects certain actions in this particular passage we're going to look at today. Because Jesus has something to say about who is in the kingdom and who is not in the kingdom. Remember, Jesus begins his Sermon on the Mount with these familiar words. He says, "'Blessed are the poor in spirit.'" for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Now, those are simple words for us to read, but those were powerful words to the audience that Jesus was speaking to. Why? Because they completely redefine who is in the kingdom and what it means to be a person of the kingdom. And as we go through each of those beatitudes, we discover that every single person that Jesus is describing in those beatitudes is a person that the religious leaders had said, you are out of the kingdom and you cannot come in. And Jesus says, blessed are they. They are in the kingdom. They are invited into the kingdom. They completely redefine what it means to be a person of the kingdom, who is in and who is out. That was a huge question in the minds of the religious leaders of that time, who is in the kingdom and who is out of the kingdom, and they completely redefined that. And Jesus says, guess what? The people you think are out of the kingdom are actually in the kingdom. And what does that do for the religious leaders? Hmm. Think about that in a minute. God's values and the world's values are completely at odds with each other. And these words are confronting to the religious leaders of the day because Jesus is suddenly inviting people into the kingdom who had previously been told that you are out, and there is no way you can come in. Jesus turns everything upside down, and he redefines what does it mean to be a person in the kingdom. Who's in the kingdom? Who is out? And Jesus has a word about what it means to be a true follower of him. That will come very clearly into focus today, and next week's message really has something to say about who is in the kingdom and how to come into the kingdom. 
So as we come into our passage today, we will see all three of these questions come into very clear focus. Each of them is important to understand what is going on in these just a few verses, very short passage. Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 13, just four verses, four very full and powerful verses, I think. Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 13, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, and he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. You know, it's interesting as I reflected on this passage, I, I realize that part of the beauty of these four verses is in the simplicity, isn't it? It's something about, about thinking about children that suddenly brings out a, a beauty in the simplicity of thinking about the life of a child. I sometimes think about how complicated my life is, and I think, oh, just to be a child again, and let somebody else think about how do I pay the bills, and let somebody else go to work, and let somebody else deal with the problems. Can I just be a kid and go out and play with my friends, you know? There's a simplicity about children that is absolutely beautiful. And I think the simplicity of this passage captures that. There is something about being an adult. We want to make things so much more complicated than they really are. Let the beauty of the simplicity capture you again this morning in these words. I think the passage very neatly breaks into three points, each of which has something very important to teach us. The first, we look at Jesus and the disciples. This interaction between Jesus and the disciples and what is going on here. It begins with this this interaction with the disciples, and we see, first of all, that people are are bringing children to Jesus. We don't know who these people are. They're in typical Mark style. He doesn't give us a lot of detail. Things just kind of move along fairly quickly here, and so there's not a whole lot of there's not a whole lot of, of of description here but it's easy to imagine that these are the parents of the children bringing them to Jesus so that he would touch them so that he would bless them and again as we've seen all through the gospel of Mark people are bringing other people to Jesus we have seen that so many times in this gospel where a sick person, his friends or her friends bring this, 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 this diseased person, a blind person, a paralytic, they bring them to Jesus so that he would heal them. People bringing people to Jesus 
recognizing his ability to, to heal and to, to restore. And so they bring these, these children to Jesus to, so that he would, he would care for them, so that he would bless them. It, it was not uncommon at this time for rabbis to bless those who were under their teaching. Oftentimes, a person who was studying under a particular rabbi, and they sometimes would name that particular teacher, and for that rabbi to bless that person was a common practice of the day. And the the form of blessing would be to lay hands on that person, and we see that all through Scripture. When we commission somebody into ministry, what do we do? We lay hands on them as a sign of blessing and send them out. And this was a common practice. We see it in the Old Testament. Remember, as the patriarchs are in their last days, as they are dying, and they, they lay hands on their children, and they bless them and they, as, they, as they are prepared to, to, to leave this world, to, to, to die. And so they pass that blessing on to, to children. And so it's a part of the culture. It's a part of the tradition that we see throughout Scripture, this laying on hands. And, and so, it, obviously, these people see Jesus as a teacher, a recognized teacher, and so they are bringing their children to him to bless them. There's not a, bun- a lot of detail here, but that is very possibly, probably the case of this recognition of Jesus as a teacher And so the parents want him to continue this practice of blessing through the laying on of hands. And and so they bring their children to Jesus so that he would touch them, so that he would would perform this, this common act. But we notice that the disciples step in. They step in and they attempt to send the children away. Why? We don't know. No doubt they saw these kids as a distraction. They were a disruption that needs to be dealt with. They, they use their, their authority and their position to determine who should have access to Jesus and who shouldn't. They see themselves, as it were, as gatekeepers to the Messiah. Who is able to, re- to get to him and who is not able to get to him? How do we kind of manage the crowd so that we can determine who gets to come to Jesus and who doesn't get to come to Jesus? And so they... they they step in and they, they kind of perform this, this role of, of being the gatekeepers to the Messiah. And so all through this, the, the Gospels, we see this, this pattern, this, this tendency of people who decide who should be in the kingdom and who shouldn't be in the kingdom. People taking this role of being the gatekeepers into the kingdom and We've, we see this a number of times. The, the disciples are taking this place. The, the religious leaders of the time had such, such complicated interpretations of the law, and they added additional rules and regulations to determine who is in the kingdom and who is out of the kingdom. 
Jesus has strong words of rebuke for the the religious leaders of the time. He says in the most powerful, powerful language in Matthew 23, 13, he says, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves and you do not allow those who would enter to go in. And he rebukes them. Why for this kind of a thing? They've shut the door and said, you can't come into the kingdom. And they make it so complicated, so difficult. In fact, in another passage, Jesus says to them, you lay burdens on people that even you can't keep. Why? To determine who's in the kingdom and who's not. I have seen so many forms of this over the years where, where people set themselves up as judge over another person, determining who's in the kingdom and who's not. I will tell you one word that I hate hearing come out of another person's mouth. Well, he thinks he's a believer, but he's not really. We know better. Brothers and sisters, how in the world can we set ourselves up as a judge over another person's heart? Jesus rebukes people for that kind of activity. We can't determine who's in the kingdom and who's not. That's God's business. And he says he sees his own disciples doing this. And Mark says he was indignant. Literally, it aroused him to anger. Tells us something very important about Jesus. His his displeasure toward the disciples reveals his compassion for these little ones as he comes to their defense. This is something that we see in Jesus all through the Gospels. While while the world would trample on those who are most vulnerable and most helpless, Jesus always comes to their defense. I was thinking about that in the context even of these passages, how even the passage on divorce, it's a husband sending his wife away. It's a husband writing a, a, a contract of divorce and so on and so forth. But marriage is to, is, is to protect women. Marriage is a protection for those who are the most vulnerable in society. A woman who is a widow, a woman who is single in, as an adult, she's an unprotected person. She needs the protection of a family to care for her. This isn't just a question of, well, we can't get along. No, it is a question of coming alongside and protecting the most vulnerable people in society who would otherwise be trampled over and run down. And he's doing the same thing for these children. They're unprotected. They need our care. They need our blessing. And so he has this compassion for these little ones, and he comes to their defense. And 
And we see that in Jesus all through the gospel. And while the world would trample on these these vulnerable and helpless people, Jesus always comes to their defense. And he rebukes his own disciples and he says, let them come to me. Do not hinder them. It's a strong word that each of us should reflect on. In what way do I see myself as a gatekeeper to the Messiah? Who in my own mind have I determined should be in the kingdom and who have I determined should not be a part of the kingdom? Jesus says, no, welcome them. Do not hinder them. Don't put up a roadblock for somebody to come into the kingdom. I have to admit to you, church would be a lot nicer and it would be a lot more fun if certain difficult people would simply stay home. I remember so clearly one Sunday morning, just a typical Sunday morning, as I was pastoring my church in China, and I was standing in the front beginning the service, and, and I was watching people walk in the door in the back, very similar kind of arrangement that we have here, And I remember standing there watching them come in, thinking to myself, I do not get to determine who comes in that door and who doesn't. It's kind of Jesus saying, whosoever will may come. And you know, there are some people who are a lot easier. I won't finish that sentence. (laughs) You know what? I'm reminded of this on some Sunday mornings. Kids are sometimes loud. They are sometimes unruly. They are sometimes disruptive. Yep. And Jesus says, let them come. Do not hinder them. And once again, he opens the gates to the kingdom just a little bit wider. So what about Jesus and the children? It's Jesus and the disciples. Jesus and the children. We'll look at verse 15 in just a minute because that's where the real lesson is, and that'll be our third point. But but look at the way Jesus talks about, and look at the way Jesus treats these little ones. He says in verse 14, Let the children come to me. Don't hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Don't hinder them. Let them come. Why? Because because the kingdom belongs to these little people. They're part of the kingdom. I welcome them into my kingdom. And in verse 16, he takes them in his arms and he blesses them and he lays his hands on them. Don't you love the tenderness of Jesus here? Just scooping them up in his arms touching them. There is something so powerful about human touch, especially a person touching another person who is deemed lower or undeserving. Jesus touching lepers. Jesus touching those people who are outcast in society. Jesus touching physically those people that society says, no, don't touch them. The untouchables. There are actually people in societies who are the untouchables. You don't touch them. 
Jesus scoops them up in his arms and he touches them. He lays hands on them. And once again, in such a short scene, we see this dramatic change in Jesus' response to these different groups of people, to the disciples, he is indignant. And then all of a sudden, he just scoops up these little ones and he's tender and he, he, he demonstrates this kind of this openness to these kids. Why is this so significant? What really is going on here? It is so important to understand the place of the child in society at this time, to understand why this is, why this is so important. You see, in the ancient world, children had absolutely no status whatsoever. They were often seen as more of a liability than they were as an asset, if you want to put it in purely economic terms. One ancient papyrus dated in the first century contains a letter written from a husband to a wife, to his expectant wife, instructing her, if it's a male child, let him live. If it's a female, then cast it out. Meaning just, just put it out and let it die. Because at least, at least a baby boy could work and at some point contribute to the family and at some point hopefully carry on the family name. So at least a son was seen as somewhat of an asset when he would become an adult. But in childhood, they're just too much bother, too much work. And a baby girl especially would be of virtually no, no value to the family. When we lived in China, one of our dear friends who was an elder in the church that I was pastoring took his rubbish out to the bin one morning. And just next to the bin was a newborn baby, just covered in a, in a blanket and laying there, put out with the morning garbage. And he took that baby home and he and his wife contacted the police and they, they told the police, we want to raise this, this child as our own. We want to adopt this baby and bring her into our family. Raise it as one of our own children. They already had three children, so this would be their fourth. And the police were astonished at, at their at their request, and the neighbors around us, we all lived in the same courtyard in this apartment complex, and the neighbors couldn't believe you would just take this child that, we, that somebody had put out with the garbage, you would take her into your home, adopt her, give her your name, raise her as your own, and they said, yes, that's exactly what we want to do. This poor little baby had been left out to die, probably by a poor young mother who could not care for her properly. And so these friends of ours took her in. And it made quite a statement to those around us. And Jesus takes these little ones in his arms and he blesses them. The outcasts of society, Jesus welcomes into the kingdom. 
And he says, to such belongs the kingdom of God. One lesson I learned years ago from our children's pastor at a church that Sue and I were a part of and where I served for a number of years, our children's pastor made a statement one day, somebody had made a very typical kind of comment that children are the future church, the church of tomorrow. And he said, you know what? We need to change our thinking about that. Our children are a part of the church today. They are not the future church. They are a part of our present church. It's one of the reasons I love, Dave, having Lucy. Lead us in worship, and a little child shall lead them. And she opens my heart to Jesus. Bless you, Sky. What you do is so important, not for the future of the church, but for the present family life of the church. What you do is so important, not to look ahead to another generation. They're a part of the church today. And you know, those Sunday mornings when it's a little bit unruly in the room, just picture Jesus. Don't hinder them. Welcome them. And let them run around the aisles and let them bring their little coins up. And yeah, to such belongs the kingdom of God. The kingdom will be filled with people the world would simply prefer not to see, not to hear, and not have around And so the lesson of the kingdom, verse 15, Jesus teaches the lesson that we all need to pay attention to. Who is in the kingdom? And he says, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter in. The obvious question for us to ask is this, what is it about a child that teaches us about how to enter into the kingdom? It's so easy to begin to list all the virtues of a child that we admire and that we so frequently lose as we, as we grow older. We admire their inquisitiveness, though that inquisitiveness can drive us nuts. I remember when our son was five, six, seven years old, if he asked one more question, I thought I would lose my mind. In fact, I remember our first... Uh, parent-teacher conference with, with Thomas's kindergarten teacher. He lives on another continent. I can tell this story. The, the teacher actually said to us, oh, Tom, we said, we're Thomas Kimber's parents, and she said, oh, Thomas. She said, you know, when we get together as a class, he will say, Mrs. Snyder, I have two observations and three questions that I would like to... And she would say, Thomas, you can make one observation and ask one question. There are 30 other children in this room. But don't we love that in a kid? But doesn't it drive us crazy at the same time? Their their inquisitiveness, their sense of wonder, their innocence, their simplicity. We could go on and on about those things in children that are are just so beautiful. But, But I think what's important here is that these children seem to be so small, so young, that Jesus scoops them up in his arms. They're, 
They're even infants. And Jesus says, you need to come into the kingdom just like this little child. You know, the sad thing I've discovered about growing into adulthood is that we so often make things so much more complicated than they need to be. And as one of the tensions I live with teaching in a theological college, especially with post-grad students, does it feel like we're making this a lot harder than it needs to be? You see, a child has absolutely nothing to bring, nothing to offer other than himself or herself. There is no presumption, there is no self-importance, they have no accomplishments to brag about. Jesus doesn't bless them for their virtues, he blesses them for what they lack. They come only as they are, helpless, powerless, overlooked, and even despised, looked down on by society. You see, to receive the, the kingdom as a child means that we come with an awareness of our own neediness, our powerlessness. It is a gift of grace that we receive with open hands. It reminds me of the line of, lines of that old hymn. Would you bring that up, please? The old hymn, Rock of Ages. Especially the second and third verses. It is up there, I'm sure. Or it will be. Well, it's on the back wall. You could turn around and look at it back there. Oh, there we go. Yeah, Rock of Ages. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill the law's desires. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. You know these old hymns, we don't sing them as often as we used to. If you know that, sing it with me. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Notice in this last verse, the next verse we'll look at, bring that one up. This is that childlike trust. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me Savior or I die. Notice that. What does a child have to offer Jesus? Nothing in my hand. Naked, I come to thee for dress. Helpless, I look to you 
for grace. What does a child have to teach us about faith? <laughs> Nothing. Naked. Helpless. Wash me. Wash me. You know, I know a lot of people who would read those words and be offended. We'll see this next week. What must I do to be saved? Naked, helpless, wash me. This, Jesus says, is how we come into the kingdom. We recognize our helplessness. We recognize our need for God's grace. And brothers and sisters, this is how we live in the kingdom. Not just how we come into the kingdom. This is how we live in the kingdom. And brothers and sisters, this is how we demonstrate the kingdom. That we extend that same grace to others, even those people that the world would despise and reject as worthless. Let's pray. So many things that we could all just sit with in this passage. Sometimes little kids teach us the most important things we need to learn about what it means to be people of the kingdom. I don't know where this message hits you. I certainly know where it hits me. But that's where we need to open ourselves to the Spirit of God and say, Jesus, what is that place in my heart? What is that place that I need that touch of grace so that I can extend grace to another person? I am naked, I am helpless. I have nothing to offer. Purify my heart. Help me. Help me. Thank you, Jesus, for such a beautiful picture of what it means to be people in your kingdom. by your grace, help us to walk and to live as these small children. Help us. In Jesus' name.